Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That question led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of the Bible, the canon of the Bible, history of tradition, what that meant, who believed what back in the early church up through the Reformation and beyond. And it was then that I began reading for the very first time from Catholic sources. The Catholic Church looms large in church history, and there it was, and I began reading for the very first time from actual Catholic sources. And I realized then that what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what do you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic thinker talking about a real Catholic topic from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. But this week, it's a little bit different. <laughs> I am joined by my very good friend, Austin Suggs, an evangelical and the host of the Gospel Simplicity YouTube channel to talk about an evangelical's best arguments for Catholicism. Austin is a great friend and a great guy. We've met a long a ways back, three plus years ago, when I had him on my show and he was on I was on his show talking about the Catholic faith, why he wasn't Catholic, why I was Catholic, and all things in between. And Austin spent the last number of years interviewing the, the best of Catholic and Orthodox and Protestant Anglican scholarship and apologists and theologians on all kinds of questions, unpacking these things. And so he's a guy who really has an amazing bird's eye view on these very arguments. He's heard them all, wrestled through many, and well, he remains evangelical, but I wanted to hear from his perspective the best arguments for the Catholicism, for the Catholic Church. And so that is this episode. It's an absolute doozy. It's lots of fun and a really a cool, I hope, I think, fun perspective. I think you will love it. This episode and others are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. If you feel led or called to help support this show financially, those links are in the show notes. And, and thank you to those who are already supporting the show to help it keep going week after week with your support. Thank you. And thanks for listening to all of you. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Austin Suggs on an evangelical's best arguments for Catholicism. It's tons of fun, guys. I think you'll love it. Please listen and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are watching on YouTube, thank you. Please subscribe to this channel, like this video, leave some comments. I know you will after this episode. It's going to be great. Hit the bell, do all those things that you guys do on YouTube, and thank you for uh, being here and sticking around. If you are listening on podcasts, thank you. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review because that helps push the podcast out to new people and grow the audience for episodes and conversations 
like this one. Guys, it's going to be awesome this week. You already can tell. If you are watching, you know what to expect here. This is going to be amazing. I'm joined by, uh, of course, Austin Suggs. He's the host of the Gospel Simplicity YouTube channel, which is dedicated to bringing simplicity at a theological and historical complexity. I love that. That's good, Austin. He hosts guests from across the Christian tradition to dive deeply into issues that have united and divided the church over the centuries. Also cool. He holds a BA in theology from Moody Bible Institute and lives outside Baltimore with his wife, Eliza. Austin, thanks for coming back again. Welcome and hello. It is so good to be back on the show oh, that launched man. my YouTube journey. Is it? Wow. I, I always give you the credit okay. for it. I'll I mean, take it. I had a YouTube channel beforehand, say, yeah. but you were the first person to invite me on a okay. podcast. Okay. Okay. I will take that. I will take that credit and I'll run with it. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. Uh, this is so much fun. Honestly, we, it's been a, it's been a minute. I was telling you before the show, before I hit the buttons to record this thing, that we, you know, we first talked, you looked it up a minute ago, three three years ago or so, almost three years ago. Uh, we first, I think, had our conversation uh, about kind of, like, you know, your questions about the Catholic Church. And mm-hmm. then we talked, we had some some crossovers uh, with Dr. Gavin Ortland, uh, with jo- I think Joe Heschmeyer, uh, right, if I recall, way back yep. when, on our on our channels. It's been awesome, and I still get I still get emails all these years later, Austin, with people who who found my show through through seeing me with you, and they're like, "Hey, love your show. Listen since way back when you and you and Austin did that thing. It's been great." So, you know, there's I love it because I love it that, that after all these years, people who who are listening to the show, you know, found found this way back then and and loved it since then. So that's always fun when your name pops up in, in my inbox. People who who found this through what we did before. That's cool. And it's a long time ago now. That's 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 a, a while ago. It is. Does that yeah. mean we're like getting old or something? I I'm getting old. You you seem ageless to me. Uh, but I'm definitely thank you, thank you. I'm definitely getting old. But you you've gotten married in the meantime and, and I think I've had, I have. I've had more kids I think since then. Yeah. Probably. Right. And and more on the way. So Really? Yeah, it never yeah, it never ends. Congrats. Yeah. Oh thanks. Yeah. Number four. Uh, yeah. Coming wow. up coming up soon. Yeah. That's hot, exciting. Hot the presses uh, shortly. Yeah, presses. That that's a strange visual. We'll we'll just keep going from, from that. Thanks, thanks, uh, Austin. The the idea for this show, and we talked. We talked. I think most recently, I picked your brain about why aren't you Catholic yet? I think, and that show had a lot of great and controversial comments. Uh, I don't know if you have ever read them, but some people who who will watch it on my channel, uh, some were less than cordial. Uh, some had some good points, and some some were playing around. And it's always a good time in the comments on YouTube. But uh, that was, I think, last time that we talked. And I thought it'd be fun to, to tackle something this way and, and ask you for some of the best arguments for Catholicism that, that you've found. Okay, so you are an evangelical guy, a, a Protestant Christian. You've studied deeply on these things. You've interviewed everybody across the spectrum. Uh, you know, all the brightest minds, uh, the best theologians, apologists, thinkers, from from Orthodox, from from Protestant, from Catholic, uh, on your fabulous channel, uh, so you have heard arguments, I think, on all sides. So I thought, really, who better to have this kind of fun outside perspective on, on this question? I thought, Austin, let's, let's bring him on and let's do this. And I want to, I think, start with, I don't know, a wide open question maybe, and you can kind of pick from your favorite, your your buffet, your buffet of favorite. I don't know, arguments or, or, or reasons why, I'll let you choose. Yeah. What would you say, thinking of that, thinking of the different kind of ways you could go, would be maybe your, your favorite or maybe the most, the, the best 
argument you've heard so far, we'll start there, in favor of Catholicism? This is open, wide open. You can go anywhere you yeah. want. What, what do you think? Is that, is that a hard question I'm to not- answer? <laughs> It's been a delightful question to be thinking about since we first talked about doing this episode. It's been really refreshing getting to hash out the arguments in a way of if I had to present them as what are the best arguments. It's a great, you know, something I just recommend for anyone that's trying to think through these things of the opportunity to kind of steel man different things and whatnot. Kind of hearkening back to the episode we did however long ago where I did the reasons why I'm not Catholic. Uh, I split it into two categories. I'm going to kind of do that as well here. And so I want to start, and this this might frustrate some of the more intellectual types, but I'll start with kind of like the experiential side and then we'll get to the intellectual side. I love it. Because I think for anyone going through some type of intellectual, spiritual, et cetera, conversion, um, it's never just like syllogisms that are getting the argument. You're you're a living, breathing person. You're not just a brain on a stick. And so on that side, as whether this is frustrating or encouraging to people, I think one of the best arguments for Catholicism are just like genuinely holy priests. And I think back to Father Joshua Caswell, who I will shout out every opportunity I have. (laughs) In fact, you did an episode with him. You got your listeners should go watch that or listen to it or whatever they do. Um, Because I had this opportunity while I was in college uh, to live right down the street from one of the most incredible Catholic churches in the country with one of my favorite priests that I think I'll ever meet, no matter how many I end up meeting. And I think honestly, like the opportunity to just be around someone who lives the faith in such a compelling way really is a strong argument and understands their faith intellectually as well. And so getting to be around just faithful Catholics, whether that's priests or just other meeting Catholics, I think can be one of the first things that breaks down those barriers. I know it was for me, like my journey started by going to a Catholic Bible study and realizing there's Catholics that read the Bible. Like, huh, this is like a category breaker for me. I need to investigate this more. Um, And so I hope that's maybe encouraging to people out there who don't feel like they're the world's best apologist, that one of the best ways to just be a kind of uh, winsome representative of your tradition is just to live like a compelling life. Um, So I think there's that end. And I think I would add on to that, like beautiful liturgies and beautiful churches have kind of a compelling effect to them as well going to St. John Cantus, just being in a place where it's, you, you sense the presence of God, you want to be there and you see people yeah. living out their faith. Um, so I'll start with that side. Any follow-ups there? Do you want me to jump yeah, into no, I Okay, I love that. Because first of all, yeah. and that of course applies to, at least, you know, I hear listeners chiming in, applies not just to Catholics too, right? I, I can think of, of course, my, yeah. I can think of my experience. I was nominally, I don't know what you call that, not nominally, it's the wrong word, but I was, I was Baptocostal in late high school, right? So I went to, went to a Pentecostal church, was really not very charismatic. And I went to, I went off to university, not really knowing where, where to plug in. And I found this super charismatic Pentecostal church. And it was the people. It was the people. I was not big into, at the time, charismatic kind of worship and these kind of things. But the people, the people that I, I, that I met there that were serving the community and that were leading things and that were welcoming people in, that's what attracted me to that kind of branch of, of evangelical Christianity. That I would normally not have been interested in, but the the people drew me in, these honest, earnest people who knew and loved, you know, their their, their Bible and their scriptures and who knew and loved worshiping God through music and in community. Like that drew me in so, so deeply at that time. And that was so right for me at that time. It was a a wonderful fit. And I I learned so much and I thrived in that community. But it was the people, right? That, That experience 
of, of those people. And I can think of the same thing of my experience of not becoming Catholic earlier, right? Like I always reflect on my faith trajectory. I wonder how it'd be different if I had met some Catholics who knew their faith and who were warm sure. and welcoming, right? Because the Catholics that I knew back in high school and back in university were these kind of lapsed, nominal kind of Catholics who were Catholic in name, but could drink into a table. They, they drank the most or, or knew where to get the drugs in high school, these kind of things, right? So I wonder, right, that, that opposite witness is equally powerful in pushing people yeah. away. But like you say, like that's, that's so important, right? Because of course, if you're, you might know the faith on paper, any faith, right? Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, but if you aren't actually living out a compelling life that draws people in, like being that conduit, I think of Father Caswell, a conduit of just grace and yeah. love and joy, right? I don't, I don't know that, I think he just gets out of the way and, <laughs> and lets that through. I think it's probably his main job, which is awesome. But you don't attract people just by that book knowledge and that, oh, I know all these things. If you aren't also living out that life and people can experience that through you, I think that's a powerful I love that you start there. I think that's that's so important. And like you say, that's something that anyone can do, right? Yeah. The best apologist besides, you can you could live out your faith, right? Be that be that Catholic peasant in the fields, right? Loving and loving God, loving your faith, living that life yeah. out and compel others to join you. So I love yeah. that. I love that. I think absolutely. And I, just as like a brief tangent, we won't go too far here. But I think that the, it's actually going to be an increasingly important thing in kind of our post-Christian society. Because yeah, I think yeah, for a yeah. long time, apologetics was centered upon this idea of like, people already care about faith. And so now you just have to give them the best arguments for why they should be of your faith yeah. or you know be religious in general. I think increasingly people are not just asking, is this true? But asking like, a prior question, like, why should I care? And also like, does this work? Like, does this actually produce any fruit in your life? Because if it doesn't do those things, I don't really care about your arguments. Yeah. Um, so I think it's bigger than just kind of like the Catholic Protestant question, but it's also getting to that question of just apologetics in general for, for the faith. Now I'll add though, and cause you, you mentioned this and I do think it's worth pointing out that as we're going through this conversation, talking about the best arguments, you can think of that in kind of two different ways. So you could think of like the arguments that are the most logically sound, but you can also think of the arguments that are the most effective, which yeah, those yeah. two things don't always, yeah. are, they don't always overlap. Um, sometimes the argument could just be too complicated and it's not effective. Or sometimes an argument can be like rhetorically powerful, but not be logically sound. And so I can hear people you know, say when I start with kind of that more experiential level, like, oh, this could apply to anything. Absolutely, it could. And just because someone's, you know, holy doesn't, or just because someone like lives a winsome, compelling life doesn't mean that their beliefs are true. That's absolutely the case. But I think just the way that we work as humans is such that that does matter to us. And that's going to factor into our decision making, whether we like it yeah. or not. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Like, no, nobody... Yeah, no one is objective enough to say it doesn't even put blinders on, right? And just go into this thing without that being a factor, right? That I think that yeah. is, and I think, I think the most honest people who make some kind of conversion, or and the most honest apologists who are in discussion trying to share the faith in that way, I think would recognize that. I hope we recognize that, right? I think I think that's absolutely true, right? You don't go into something in a vacuum, right? There yeah. is that experiential relational aspect to to anything even the even meeting a person that first exposes you 
to right. to that thing, right? You don't. I think it's pretty rare you'd come into contact with something with having no, you know, absolutely no relational thing that would bring you to there, right? Somebody brought you there, or somebody brought you this thing, or somebody that you know said a thing or did something to to draw you in somewhere. Right? Yeah. There's always some kind of contact. I think we're not living in vacuums. Yeah, I th- I think the person who's honestly going to understand how those things happen would have to recognize that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So. Even though we're not, you know, uh, fully objective creatures, I imagine that many people will want to kind of jump into some of those more like <laughs> logical arguments for Catholicism, which of those I find perhaps most compelling. Um, I'm going to start and then we can dig into any number of those by getting a little again on like what's the most effective here. And I think a lot of that for me and what I've watched uh, for people is that it's often not just one argument. It's often kind of a cumulative effect of multiple arguments. So if I was going to kind of like write a crash course on uh, (laughs) Catholic apologetics uh, and like what I see as being most effective, I think it probably starts, well, after having some type of experience that draws you into even care, right? Whether that was someone that was, you know, just a winsome representative or what have you. It often starts with, kind of just beginning to pick away at things that people took for granted in their faith that maybe they hadn't really considered. One of those things is often sola scriptura. So, what I'm not going to do in this video is, you know, make like, uh, get like into a really in-depth thing on, you know, the, the merits of Sola Scriptura. I mean, we can talk about it. Right. But, um, but I think in terms of arguments being effective for Catholicism at some point, and often early on, you get to this question of Sola Scriptura. And even if you don't kind of knock it down completely, you kind of lessen the confidence in that doctrine. And as you do that, you begin to shift the playing field. Because I think as long as the argument is solely, solely Scripture, trying to prove Catholicism from that, it's going to be pretty hard. I know there's people that kind of take that approach and they're like, I'm going to prove uh, the Catholic faith from the, the pages of scripture. But I think even when they do that, it's getting like a minimally viable product and then kind of bringing all the tradition in. And so I think for most effective arguments around uh, why be Catholic, it starts with, hey, let's just open the door to say, we're going to at least allow tradition to have some weight. Now, we don't have to get you to say that it's of equal weight with scripture, but at least as you're beginning to go through the following subsequent questions, You're not just saying, okay, what does scripture alone say? But, okay, maybe if it's at a stalemate, what does tradition weigh in on? I remember when I was going through John 6, I came to this place of like, (laughs) it it seems like on scripture alone, I can see either argument. Like there's a good way to make an argument for a symbolic case. There's a good way to make an argument for a more real presence. But then at that point, I was at least open to tradition playing an arbiting role. And once I did that, you know, the scales tipped dramatically. And so I was like, I, I think it is real presence. And that's where I would stand today. So I think arguments for Catholicism start with bringing in just like opening the door to tradition to play some role in it. That's, that's hilarious because, of course, my story, which I mentioned in brief every episode that I began in the podcast, is began when I was interning in the student church, evangelical church, and the pastor who was... Uh, raised Catholic, now an evangelical, non-denominational pastor, doing his second master's degree in our formerly Catholic seminary, which is now an evangelical seminary, downtown Toronto. 
and he had taken a patristics course, and he was exposed once again to the early church and came back, and I was his sounding board, right? I was the guy in the office. This was, I don't want to date myself, this was cool mood lighting in this cool hip-like uh, office, right? Come in, he's like, hey, Keith, come in here. I got to ask you a question. Like, and I sat down, and he goes, what, what do you think? He's a, this is a French-Italian-Canadian a French uh, guy. I can't do his accent. It was, it was amazing. But he, uh, he said, what do you think is more, is more important, the tradition or scripture? And like that, that, that question, right, kind of stopped me in my tracks. Like, okay, well, scripture, right? Like, it's always, of course, it's more important. Like, tradition for us was like, that was like a, a watchword, like a blacklisted word, right? We don't do tradition. Like, we're a non-denominational church. Tradition is like, that's not our thing. We're like, we're emergent. Like, we're a new hip church, like, breaking out on our own. And then he said, yeah, but like, but didn't tradition put together the Bible? And that's where like, for the, that's that question for me that you, right, that you, Begin to open the door to there, right? In that, in that, what you just said, for me it was like that was the thing that literally, not literally, I guess, but <laughs> open opened the door for me, right? Was to begin thinking about tradition versus kind of scripture and where those things kind of fit together, right? Yeah. When I and when I first realized that, okay, so something put together the Bible, and we would kind of call that tradition. That's when I began, like my understanding of sola scriptura began to shift, right? Because yeah. I, I, had, I hadn't thought about it, right? I, I hadn't, and this is kind of funny too, right? I think I had Jamaican on the show, I think probably years and years ago now, talking about this. And it wasn't so much a, a thing that I, that I thought about. I didn't go, oh yeah, the Bible fell from the sky intact. And I just believed that. I never thought that way, but I didn't not think that way. Yeah. I never actually asked, well, where did it come from, right? My that that opens that shifts your paradigm, right? That opens the door to have sure. to ask those kind of questions when you begin thinking about, well, where did the Bible come from, and why do we believe that it's it's the sole infallible rule of faith? Yeah, right. Those kind of questions, and for me, that that was a thing that actually did open the door to begin asking those kind of questions. Yeah, and like you say, then you start asking more questions. And I think there's kind of two dynamics going on here for a lot of people as they're going through a conversion experience that the, the end goal, right. Or like the kind of crossing the finish line of becoming Catholic at some point is going to be accepting the authority of the Pope, right? Like once you've done that, all the other doors pretty much close. I mean, you can accept all number of things, right? You could, I mean, you could start praying the rosary and not be Catholic, right? Or you could, you know, uh, begin to say like, eh, I'm not really so sure about Sola Scriptura, like Orthodox is still open. You've got different options. You can accept, you know, a mono episcopacy or whatever, but uh, the, the papacy is where you're trying to get. And early on when I was investigating these things, I thought like I could focus on that solely. And I have done that a bit, but I think inevitably you begin begin asking all types of other questions. And I think for a lot of people, it's not so much like one argument for the papacy, though, if you're interested at some point, we can get into what I think are maybe some of the best arguments for the papacy. But I think it's, uh, maybe this is a dark metaphor, but I was going to say like death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> like there's like a lot of small little uh, shifts that begin to occur. So like you open that door a little bit to tradition and then you start asking other questions and they're not necessarily slam dunk arguments. I don't think any of them are on their own. And I mean, cumulatively, I'm not Catholic, so they haven't kind of <laughs> created that tipping point for me. But I think for a lot of people, it begins to just shift the probability. And at some point they realize, or at least I had to realize, and I think most people do, it's never going to be like a 100% certainty type of decision outside of some like mystical experience, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a, 
what seems to explain the most evidence in the most compelling way? Like what can take uh, in the most sources in a way that makes sense? And so I think you begin to go to other things like, huh, this scripture tradition question, well, maybe let's look at the canon. Could I be wrong about something like the canon? Do I have the wrong number of books? Maybe you don't even finish that question, right? And even if you did, it doesn't solve it, but you begin to cast doubt on that. Then you get to other things like, okay, let's let's read the Apostolic Fathers and what do we have here? And then maybe you're reading Ignatius and it's like, huh, like maybe I really need a bishop. Again, maybe that's not even like a, a knockdown argument. None of these are in themselves. I think for a lot of people, it begins this kind of ball rolling in a direction that's decidedly different from where they came, though they haven't ended up somewhere yeah. else yet. Um, and I think usually the Eucharist comes in there. Like I know it did for me, changing my view on that. All of a sudden you're starting to think like, I'm backing away from where I came from. Like if evangelicalism is here, sorry, my video is mirrored. And you begin backing up. You're like, I'm still like evangelical. I'm just like a little different than I was before. And eventually you back into this wall and you're like, oh wait, like now I'm actually Orthodox or I'm Catholic or I'm Anglican or something different has changed. I think often you don't quite realize it. You're just kind of changing your views on little individual things, but the probabilities are shifting for each one of them, which eventually makes you think like, oh, maybe, maybe I can look at something like the papacy now and say, even if I'm not convinced like a hundred percent, it does seem to make sense of a lot of the other evidence. And so maybe I'm more disposed to think that even though I might have qualms about like the assumption of Mary or, you know, I have some qualms about Vatican one. I think a lot of people get to this place of, well, I've accepted so much of the teaching at this point and the arguments seem to like at least be better than they are bad, like more good than bad. Um, and so maybe you just eventually kind of take that all. I don't know. There's a lot there. We can, we can go any number of directions. I think you're, I think you're entirely right though. And I, I gotta say so many guests on this show say a very similar thing who are converts, right? Who say, I, I got to a place where it was a kind of, and in my experience too, a kind of a weighing of, what was going on here of, of evidence of experience and ultimately going, okay, well, I, I know too much now to like, yeah, you, you've backed up too far to say, yeah, I'm still evangelical. I don't know what I am. I'm not, I don't think I'm that anymore. And then you begin, I think having to really weigh things out or live in that weird tension of, of not, I don't know, not, not being anything. Like feeling homeless. For, yeah. For a bit. That's yeah. definitely, that's definitely a thing. I mean, my famous, or my I'm famous. So I'm, famous. I'm not famous. My my kind of uh, experience of this was cooling a pot of, of soup in the snow in the snow bank up here in Canada. Right? I had, I cooked a pot of soup. I had to blend it. I wanted to cool it down first before I threw it in the blender because it's a plastic blender. I didn't want to have plastic leaching out into my soup and destroying my my, my body. So I'm cooling a pot of soup in the snow. And the slippers on in the back porch. It's in the snowbank. And I'm sitting there looking at the stars, just kind of like smelling the soup wafting up. And I kind of I I realized then that I'd gone too far to go anywhere. I, I thought, you know, where can I, what can I do at this point? I think I'm becoming Catholic. I'd backed so far up. I'd accepted these different things. I, I'd worked through all these different things. And it got to a point where it was kind of a decision point. And I've heard, you know, guests in this show have said the same kind of thing, that you almost, it's a point where if I don't become Catholic, I'm really like, I'm in trouble. Like I know that I'm doing something, something wrong not falling where I think I really need to go. Whether or not, you know, not everyone's going to accept that the Catholic Church is, is, is true. Like, you yourself are not Catholic. But at a point, these guests in the show were like, yeah, I got I to gotta do that thing that I think is true. I have to follow that, you know, you know where, where it goes. Because yeah. there is that point. But I think your Death by a Thousand Cuts is a great metaphor. <laughs> Very dark. I love it. 
But uh, very like uh, inquisitional. I like that. Very, yeah, like the mi- Middle Ages kind of. Uh, yeah, that's in the bad like, arguments category. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Become, yeah, like slowly, you know, slowly torturing your way into the Catholic Church. That's not really, that's kind of frowned upon these days, yeah. I think. But I, I, you know, I take your point. I think listeners and, and viewers will too, right? That you you start in some place and then begin to, to if you're willing to, if you're in a place to investigate things, if you're disposed to do that, because some might not, right? Some might yeah. have that question. And like that, the, the pastor that I talked about before, he asked that question, he dropped that bomb, and then he left. Like he was, <laughs> and he's still, he's still an evangelical pastor up in Quebec doing his thing. He's not, he's not Catholic. He left a bunch of us in his wake that became Catholic with questions like that that he dropped, but he's, he's not. So if you're, disposed to ask those questions, right? You begin kind of picking away at other things, right? And I think begin to, yeah, see the merit in those arguments, right? They're outweighing things that you thought. And it's a lot of that paradigm shifting, right? Yeah. And it's a lot for, in, in my experience, experience people that I've talked to on this show, it's discovering, I think, first and foremost, that what you, what you held before isn't really all that historic, or all that grounded, maybe. Like, I mean, I was in a non-denominational church that was was really making things up a lot of time, right? We we had a kind of a core amount of belief, but we were doing things that, you know, an order of service, like the way we ran different things, our leadership structure of that church. These things were kind of just, were, were very recent inventions, right? Yeah. In the scheme of things. And you realize as you go, as you look more into the history and kind of explore those questions, that what you're doing is really novel. It's really new in the scheme mm-hmm. of, of Christianity. And maybe that's fine. But for some people asking those questions, you realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm kind of untethered from history. Maybe I have to actually look more deeply into why I'm doing those things and where these things maybe are properly rooted and begin to... That for me was a, was a, was a, a big realization that I wasn't grounded in a Christianity that was really all that old. And mm-hmm. I didn't feel like that was a good good thing, right? Others may, yeah. of course, come to different conclusions and, you know, the emergent church emerged for a reason. People love that and that, yeah. you know, awesome things came out of that and are coming out of that. But, you know, for me, I was like, no, 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 this is too untethered. What mm-hmm. What's going on here, right? And begin to investigate deeper, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely it does. And uh, I want to put like a, I don't know if it's a disclaimer, but uh, another thought out there, which... I don't mean this to disparage in any way, but I do. One thing I see for a lot of people as they begin to investigate these questions is that you can investigate any, like the kind of tangential issue. They're not tangential, they're important, right? But they're not like the, the main issue of the papacy. Um, you can investigate these from like entirely Orthodox sources and you can investigate them from entirely Catholic because they're going to agree on like 95% of these issues, right? And I think for a lot of people, what they end up doing is they, engage with a ton of Orthodox sources that begin to open up their mind and they help them kind of like peel away from where they were. And that's the corner they feel like they've ended up backing themselves into, or maybe not a corner, but it's, you know, the room they've entered without realizing it because they were looking in a different direction. But I think people can do that from the Catholic perspective as well. Like you're engaging with all of these Catholic apologists and reading all these amazing Catholic books and going back to these Catholic sources and finding it really inspiring. And what I find is that a lot of people, this certainly isn't all, some people like uh, I was listening to your interview with Eric Ibarra the other day, do a tremendous amount of like deep dive between the two. (laughs) But I think for a lot of people, what ends up happening is like whoever was inspiring you to start asking these questions is often where those people end up with some cursory back and forth. Like I was talking to 
someone I went to school with the other day, um, who's now Orthodox and I was, you know, talking about his experience and he's talking about all these things, like beginning to question all of these different things. And he's thinking through them deeply. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. Um, and then he mentioned, he's like, yeah, and no, I just couldn't become Catholic. Cause like, I just can't do the Pope. I was like, <laughs> like you, you thought through all these things yeah, like yeah. really deeply. And then like, that was just kind of like, yeah, I just can't do that. Um, but I think it's probably the attitude of a lot of the people he was coming across. I think similarly yeah. with some Catholic people, there's, you know, a ton of like engagement with really deep Catholic sources. But then when it's like, Eh, like an orthodox ecclesiology versus a Catholic, like this one seems more practical. It seems to make more sense to me. So I'm going to go with this one, which I, I don't actually fault people for. I think we in our apologetic circles can like place these highly unrealistic standards on people where like they're going to read all of the apostolic fathers then they're going to read like the anti-Nicene and then the Nicene and then the post-Nicene fathers. Yeah. They're going to work through the filioque way. They're going to work like... Well, I don't know who has the time for all of these things, but it's you, just you, like you, few you, of us yeah, that yeah, are lucky yeah. enough to make videos about this <laughs> stuff. Right. Um, so I don't mean to like paint with too broad, broad of a brush and say that's a bad thing. Yeah. I just think that's a dynamic that is out there. Yeah. It's worth noticing. Yeah. And it's partly that because like the experiential thing too, I think too, right? Yeah. Like you had, and you can't, you have to recognize that those people made those conclusions for, right. And, and you're and I'm not saying you're not, not doing this, but for, for good reasons, like they, yeah. they had good reasons and maybe they didn't have the time to read both sides doesn't necessarily yeah. make their reasons necessarily less good. Yeah. Right. I think it's, yeah. I, funny enough, like the first guy that I knew that did anything of converted anything was, a, was a friend who became Orthodox actually who made our, made my show's logo was a friend of mine who, who was the first guy that I knew that converted anything. He became Orthodox. And when I talked to him, right again, I wonder back then if we had if we had tried a bit harder or asked more questions or he had all kinds of books I could have recommended to me, I'd have read more deeply from from uh, you know his reading list, right? Yeah. Who who knows? I may I may have skipped reading anything Catholic altogether, right? Sure. Now I read I, I tried my best to read from all kinds of sources on, on both sides, but I I had time to do <laughs> to do that, right? <laughs> and doesn't make my conversion more meaningful than a guy who became Orthodox. Like I, I like it wouldn't make sense for me to say, oh well, I became Catholic. So I, I knew more than he did. He didn't read enough sources, Catholic sources. So, so I'm I made the right choice. He made the wrong choice because I read more. I knew both sides of the story, right? It's that relational piece, I think, right? Like we, right? Yeah. We don't always have time to read everything of of everything, and right? There's an aspect of uh, that that the Holy Spirit is leading you to relationships that will lead you places right like we got there's that aspect of god working in in our lives right if we're earnestly seeking after him right he's putting people in our in our wake in in our not wake in our path for us to encounter right that will that will lead and guide us right so yeah for whatever reason that guy had orthodox guys in his his but you're right there's agreement there for 80 i had a guest on the show i think just last week talking about you know his interestingly enough his I we made a show talking about if you're looking for a church, what would you you know try Catholic? Like here's some ideas of why mm-hmm. if you're just a person searching for a church, maybe look at the Catholic Church. And he wouldn't. He was very Rod Bennett, good friend. He oh was, yeah. He was very lovely. He's he's one of my favorite apologists. He's not an apologist. He's a, he's he's a nice guy, right? Nice Catholic guy. And he'll say the same thing. He's not an apologist. He's not trying to be an apologist. He's just saying things that he likes. He loves people. He's an awesome guy and he began there he's like you know what? i don't care what you become because 
Orthodox Catholic agree on 85% of, of, of what they believe they, they agree on, right? No, sorry, 90%. 90? No, yeah. 95. Yeah. A 95. large percentage. <laughs> 95, I think it, it was 95, right? And that last 5%, it, it's important things, right? Like the papacy, right? But on like 95% of the things they believe, they, they're, in, they're in unity. Right? Yeah. So his argument was, if you can get to that point, Right and recognize that. Well, you gotta you gotta say, okay, I need an apostolic faith. Then I need to choose one of these two. Sure. And he's like, do whatever you want, but just get to that point first, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and I guess using your metaphor, back up into that room to that point, and you gotta go. Okay, so I, I can't be this anymore. I gotta figure out where where I fit. Then that's a, a interesting experiment, thought experiment. I think I think that he had the kind of dovetails here a little bit. Yeah, I think absolutely, and. I mean, I want to give like some reassurance to people, I guess, if I can, because I mentioned it a little there. Like, I actually don't think the way that I've done this um, is all that functional <laughs> and talking to the best experts from around <laughs> yeah. the world about all these topics, because it can be very head spinning. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't I don't think um, and I, I could be wrong, but like I, my, my view of God isn't such that he's like he's going to be really disappointed with those people who they, they did their best with all of their sources, right? Like they really tried this, but they happened to not read the like 800 page yeah, tomes yeah, from the scholar that. from the other side. And maybe if they did, they would have come to a different yeah, conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, I, I'm in a position where like I've gone this far. So I, I feel like I really do need to give due consideration to all of these sides. Um, but I don't think everyone is necessarily called to like be a scholar of this for a long time. Yeah. And I'll also say um, to the point of, well, if people you know decided to become Orthodox, Catholic, or Protestant, and they realized maybe they didn't read as widely on the other side as they could have, you don't have to knock down every counter argument in order for an argument to be true, yeah, right? Like yes. most of us didn't become Christian because we determined that every other religion yeah. was false. <laughs> yeah. We found a compelling case for Christianity, and we said, well, if this is true by kind of nature of exclusion, the other ones yeah. are in some way not true. And so I don't need to then go pr like disprove all of those yeah, things. Group, yeah. So just to throw that out there. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. That's a great point, right? Even in my experience becoming Catholic, one of the people that was kind of pushing back against me said, well, you didn't know your Protestant faith well enough. That's who you became Catholic. If you had known better Protestant sources and known your faith better, you wouldn't have converted for, for sure. They're very, you know, they're very confident. That's, that's the same thing, right? That it's, it's not about necessarily knowing all the best counter arguments or, or arguments, right? Certain things compel people differently, right? Yeah. I, I, I agree with you, right? You don't, you don't become something by disproving everything else uh, as wrong, right? Yeah. Even for that initial conversion. Um, okay, do you have more? Do you have more? Uh, you mentioned digging into arguments for the papacy. Are there more do you want to... You think are are you, you tease a few right? You tease a, a, on the real presence on bishops. Just yeah, in, in I mean, passing. I, I don't know. Those are yeah. I mean, I don't know that we need to. Like, I mean, we can like outline the arguments for them. I think a lot of it's going to come down to really early attestation and really broad attestation to these claims, right? So whether that's something like bishops, you're going to find just a lot of early evidence for it. Now you can get into like the nitty gritty of any of these <laughs> and try to pierce through like, what did we mean by presbyteros and all of these things? Like, and you can spend <laughs> a lifetime on it. But I, I think what often happens is again, like 
you don't even have to come to a conclusion on this, but maybe you're just probability changes. If I was a Catholic apologist, that's how I would probably do it because I think it's too tedious to say like, you need to come to a hundred percent certainty on each of these issues. And it's going to actually kind of harm the argument because you can undercut them for at least some percentage of doubt. Um, But I think it's often a cumulative thing of like, it seems like there's a lot of early people that thought bishops are important and that, it seems to be a widespread belief and it doesn't contradict scripture. And because we open that door and like yeah, we see yeah, tradition yeah. is pretty valid, like maybe we should take that same thing with like the real presence in the Eucharist. We're going to say like, okay, maybe there were like quibbles like here and there from like a couple people in like random places, but like far and away, this, this was mainly the belief. Maybe they didn't define it with Aristotelian terms. Like we don't have to get there with this argument. But what we can say is like, mm, it's probably not your like purely symbolic view that you used to hold just kind of upping the probability that not only is this claim true, but maybe some claims connected to it are true. Um, And then I think you get into other things, um, communion of saints, uh, infant baptism, I think is often a common one. Um, But then I think you sometimes, you know, you begin snowballing in that direction, like it's picking up steam, but maybe there's things that are snares for you. Like, ah, this one, this one I can't quite get to. And honestly, this has been my experience in in some way. Um, You get to something like the assumption of Mary and you're like, I'm just like, I'm not so sure about that. Like even with the arguments, like you're just not hitting that probability threshold. And I think at that point, what you do is like, okay, there's, there's been a lot of these things and and a lot of them seem probable to me. And there's these couple that I'm just really stuck on. Then it gets to what I think a lot of Catholic apologists will pivot to at that point is, okay, you've accepted these other things. You're unsure about these. Totally legitimate. I get that. And give you my best argument. Maybe it doesn't convince you. Well, let's talk about the authority question. Like, yeah. that's going to be the thing that's going to tip this. I was listening to a video with Trent Horn the other day, and essentially that was his argument for the assumption. He was saying, like, he won't do debates with Protestants on that because you're just kind of too far apart. He'd sure. rather debate the authority question. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah. here are the arguments I can give you. That might not convince you in a vacuum. But if you're convinced of the papacy, then, like, this domino kind of falls. And so, yeah, it probably makes sense at this point to, uh, to go to the papacy. <laughs> you're totally right and honestly so many like Mary it's funny because Mary is a huge stumbling block I don't know and I said a controversial thing recently on the show I talked to a, a lovely a fantastic priest talk about priests that that, that relational aspect right? that, that draw mm-hmm. you into their their lives uh, I had Father Daniel uh, Maria Klimek on the show a okay. lovely priest out of Ohio and uh, he, uh, he wrote a book about Mary and talking about Mary and I said a thing that I don't I don't take it back I think it was controversial um, you know, I said that I think Satan's greatest like move was to was to arm Protestants against Mary, like mm. to to set up that as a stumbling block, which is controversial, and it's going to maybe give yeah. people's backs up. But I don't think I'm wrong uh, from a Catholic perspective because that is always every single time without fail on the show. Guess that is like the last thing that they encounter that. They go, I don't get this, and I can't become Catholic until I do, right? Yeah. So either, like, that's that's an uh-oh point where, like, we're, like, oh, we're all wrong as Catholics, and Protestants should stop there, and that's, like, you know, that's, like, the holy speed bump, or a super trick from Satan that's keeping Protestants out of the Catholic faith. It's either super evil or super good, I think, but that's the thing. And then so many, like, like as you're... As, as Trent says, as, as you're going here, right, so many uh, converts to the faith then go to the authority thing and go, okay, yeah. so I can't figure out Mary, but if I can figure out 
the church, the authority, like if the church is what it says that it is and has that authority, well then I can accept these Marian dogma because I accept the church has the ability to proclaim those, right? That's, that's yeah. so often the pivot point in these kind of conversations. So I think you're exactly right. And now I've lost half of your... <laughs> This video with like controversial Catholic statements, but yeah, uh, they live I'll, for controversy. Yeah, you know what they do? They do. So they, maybe they're still watching. And I'll stand, I'll stand by that, and I'll take the heat in the comments as I, as I did that, that a few weeks ago, a few months ago. So yeah, the papacy, um, because I think that is what happens. And by I think it's natural too that eventually you kind of run out of steam of looking into all of the individual things that divide you between the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church or whatever, because. It's just a really long list. Trust me. Trust me. Um, and so you try to get to the kind of shortcut of like, well, if this is it, then that's yeah. that's kind of that. Yeah. And so when I think about the best arguments for the papacy, and this is primarily what I've been thinking about as we've, I've been prepping mentally for this episode, um, which again, just thanks for the opportunity to do it. <laughs> Sorry. I think there's, no, I love it. It's been, it's been really great. I, I mean that in all sincerity. Um, thanks for prepping. I, I appreciate that. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's been fun. Um <laughs> Yeah, there's, I think, a couple ways of going about this. So one way that I think a lot of people start with that I actually don't think is that convincing, um, but is like maybe an honorable mention to the conversation (laughs) is the, I'd say like functional argument for the papacy or the kind of like logical a priori argument. So meaning like, we're not getting this from the evidence, but it's just like, let's zoom out for a minute and have a thought experiment. If you were to set up a church or any organization for that matter, how would you set it up? And I think most of us would say, "Mm, I'd probably put someone in charge at the top. And then you could maybe get through some of those questions of like, okay, and if this is about like the most important spiritual matters and like this function as the court of appeals, well, if it's the final court, like, it's got to have some type of higher weight. So maybe that means that it's then infallible or something like that, you know, um, which I think is like honorable mention to the conversation. <laughs> I say, I don't find it that convincing because it's, you know, if we go from that image again, of like you have scripture and then you open the door to tradition a bit at this point, this is just like, we're, we're away from both of those. And it's just kind of a, a thought experience. Yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't mean it has no weight because I think we all believe that God is um, not arbitrary in his decision-making and that the things he, he does for the most part, not that we have a complete understanding of everything he does, but that, you know, he's reasonable in a way. Um, and so it's not completely divorced from theology to say like, well, what would make the most sense? But with that being said, I don't think it's the most convincing. As we get into the different arguments, I think the scriptural argument that is really an intriguing one and one I'm hearing a lot more about um, these days. I think Swan Son has done a lot of work on it um, on YouTube. And then I believe Scott Hans, uh, you know, done a lot too, but this argument of the comparison between the Davidic kingdom and then what's going on in the new Testament. Right. And so, because this allows you to get a lot more trappings around the new Testament uh, ecclesiology. Cause when you read the new Testament, there's kind of in a way frustratingly little about how to run a church. Yeah. I was actually talking with a non-denominational church planter and we we're talking about this and he was saying like, man, like there's just not a lot to go on. Like if you're trying to build a church based on the new Testament, it really just doesn't give you a whole lot. Like it would have been nice if like there was an, another book maybe between like acts and Romans that was like the handbook on how to run a church. Like, That'd be great. And I think for all of us, right. It would make the question easier. Um, but we don't have that. 
But when you make this connection between the divinic kingdom and what's going on um, in the New Testament, what the the kingdom of God on earth looks like in kind of the post-apostolic period, if that connection holds, all of a sudden you can pull a lot of stuff from the Old Testament into it. You know, you can make connections between like the Levitical priesthood, even down to kind of like the liturgy and how these things are connected. And there's a lot of fascinating connections there. It's honestly an argument that I need to spend more time with. Um, you know, the main like Protestant objection will be just putting too much weight on typology. Yeah. Um, but that notwithstanding, I think it's one of the most interesting arguments for the papacy. Um, so we've gone from like kind of logical, but maybe not that convincing to interesting. And I'll leave the convincing part to the viewers. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, yeah, go ahead. No, and I gotta say that that that's a very compelling, I think, argument for those people, those non-Catholic Christians who are super into Scripture, right? Who love Scripture study, deep dive Bible studies, who love the, the commentaries, and you know, reading, you know, re- read a book to do the whole commentary on that on that book, right? Or read them in tandem. Like I can think of people yeah. who just love the Scripture, have a deep love for those kind of things, Old Testament, New Testament, like that. That kind of approach to the papacy, I think, draws in those people who yeah. just love the scripture because there are there's so many crazy elements to that, right? And yeah, yeah. guys like Swan are unpacking those kind of things, and then you begin to see, you know, a lot of a lot of his unpacking. Take one example of one person doing it is finding the historical unpacking of those things. Going, look, this isn't new. Guys here, right. here, 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 here have also made these connections. Like, and we're just kind of yeah. rediscovering those connections that were made way down through the past, right? And I think yeah. it's it's a cool place to mine. Like if you love if you love it is. scripture, you spend a lot of time looking at those connections and finding things there. Take them or leave them, but there's a lot in there. And you know what my and my always kind of question that I think about is the fact that okay, if scripture is inspired, if we believe that and love the playing field, we all believe the same thing that scripture is inspired, you got to ask yourself what those connections mean. If we sure. believe scripture is inspired, because they can't be in there by accident, right? Either either we're reading too much into them, or there's something in there that we have to actually begin to to really dig into if we believe that scripture is inspired. Because nothing in there can be a mistake. Can sure. be well. This this is uh, like whoops. This is too much of an overlap here. Like I didn't mm-hmm. we by accident put this in there, and that looks too much like the Old Testament now. Whoopsies. Like no, that's there for a reason. Maybe we're reading too much into it, but you at least have to let yourself ask those questions. Are we, or aren't we? Like why, why yeah. are these connections there? Why do they seem to exist? Right. Yeah. And I would, I mean, even as a Protestant, I would absolutely recommend people that to, I would recommend to people that they do that. Yeah. I, I don't think any of these things should be like taboo or scary. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and people would disagree with the approach I take. Like it doesn't bother me when people go through my channel and they become Catholic or they become Orthodox. I see it as an opportunity for to give people the best information I can and allow them to make, you know, to come to their conclusions. Um, and I, I don't lose any sleep over that. And maybe that's because I have a kind of expansive view of the church. Um, but, but I do think like people should look into this and there's a lot there. And I think Protestants especially are drawn to this argument because uh, especially the very much, like you said, like Bible scholar kind of Protestants yeah, yeah, that just yeah. love diving into it. I think there's a, a second, uh, well, there's many arguments for the papacy. Um, and this is actually third if I was counting correctly, uh, but not a math major. Um, <laughs> but so if we've done kind of the logical and you have the the scriptural there, I think there is the, the more historical question. Um, and I'll add in that I, just like none of the like one arguments going up to this, like whether that was the Eucharist or the bishops or whatever, uh, does it for people. I think for most people, 
there is some type of cumulative effect going on, even within yeah. something like the papacy, just because it's a complex issue. And so, you know, maybe as you add up these different things, it either is or isn't convincing to you. Um, but I think, you know, from the historical standpoint, it, it comes down to this question of, do we see this early on? Um, and there's there's a lot of nuance to the historical argument, I think, because you have to understand something about the development of doctrine um, if you're going to end up accepting it. Because uh, I, what I don't think you're going to find is like a super compelling picture in the first century or second century or even like third century per se of like, this is Vatican I just like fully functioning right here. Um, but what you can at least begin to explore is, are there seeds here of something like a papacy um, that you know, is located in Rome, has succession with Peter, is eternal and is necessary to the church. And I, I think Eric Ibarra puts it out in something like those four. Um, and if you have just the, the minimum of like, this is continuing, it's in Rome with, because of Peter's succession, um, not by like uh, just uh, accident of historical influence, then you begin to have something that says like, and it's uh, divinely inspired, like, okay, maybe you have the roots of something like the papacy. And with that, it gets into kind of the East-West argument that I think Eric does. I brought up Eric a lot. He's a good guy. Good I don't guy. mind it. Yeah, I love him. Um, but he does a good job in his book, like being really honest of kind of the Catholic conundrum is we, we say the, the Pope is infallible and then we have these kind of thorny issues of like Pope Ormizdus or these different things where it's like, it seems like we might've had a heretical Pope. Like, what do we really do with that? So that's kind of a challenge, but on the Orthodox side, which I think is a very strong challenge we're thinking about is it seems like at some point, like Orthodox saints accepted those four things about uh, the papacy, specifically the question of like, if an, Orthodox saint and and in councils, um, like if ecumenical councils said the the papacy was necessary and divinely inspired, and you no longer have it, that would seem like you no longer have yeah, a functional yeah, ecclesiology. Yeah. At that point, you've already accepted the kind of infallible nature of the ecumenical councils. For the Protestant, what you can look at and say is like, those look like two bad conundrums. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to kind of wash my hands of it. Yeah. Um, that's a bit of a caricature, but I've talked a lot. We can we can follow up on any of that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fantastic. Eric is a great guy for doing those kind of things and bringing those kind of things to light. And I I like that you nuance that with you're not going to find the papacy intact as it is today with a pope that wears white and little hat and goes into Pope Mobile driving around like in the first century, right? You're not going to find that. I mean, they didn't have cars back then. I don't think anyway. But besides that, right? But we shouldn't expect that either, right? I think if we're steel manning the this position. You wouldn't expect to find this this exactly how it is today, papacy in the earliest sources, because we don't find many things in Christianity in those earliest sources, right? And and of course, the always the go to is the Trinity, right? The are the natures of Christ. Like we don't; those things weren't delivered as they are today, exactly pristine in the early church. Those things did develop, and how we understood those things developed. The canon of the Bible developed, right? These things developed. So we shouldn't expect to look at the early church and find the papacy from the very beginning as it is now. But we, we should expect to find seeds of that. And mm -hmm. I think apologists, scholars would argue on the Catholic side, you can find those, even in the scriptures themselves, you can find seeds of those things, the beginnings of those. But yeah, I like how you nuance that. That's really important, I think. So I think a lot of people might 
not I don't think even intentionally, honestly, try and try and straw man that and say, oh, I can't find this in here. They would go looking for it and expect to find it, not I think thinking through that the paradigm they're looking through, right? Because there are other things we wouldn't find back then, as we expect to find to find now, right? In in the same yeah. way. And sense. I think there's also just the point of if we're just talking historical and we're like not not the scripture isn't historical. I don't want to make too much of a dichotomy there. But if we're looking at non-scriptural uh, sources, we also just have to be honest that we have way less than we'd like to have yeah. in those early yeah. centuries. Yeah. Like there's just only so much. I mean, you can read the apostolic. Like I think I read it over a Christmas break. Like it's it's pretty short. It's like the length like of the New Testament. Um, there's just not a lot you have there in the first you know century or so. Um, you have a church in persecution. You have a church that's in its infancy. Um, and so not only do you not have as many sources, but you also do have kind of that image of like an infant church that is, is going to grow and look different over time. Question is, are we just talking about like genetically the same infant between you know the first century and what you have at Trent or Vatican One or even in the 600s or 700s or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I think something that, that I've thought about more recently, I think this comes from Trent Horn too, I think, is the idea, if we're looking at, say, the papacy, like authority, right? So papacy versus, mm-hmm. say, say, sola scriptura. The, we, we should expect to find the same weight of evidence for either of those, right? So in the same way mm-hmm. that you can't look back at the early church and see sola scriptura clearly practiced by the very first Christians— you can't look back and see the papacy as it's practiced exactly now by those early Christians. Like you, you kind of have an unlevel playing field there, or or, sure. or unmatched expectations, right? You can't, as a Protestant, go, "Oh, well, you guys can't find the Pope way back then," because the Catholic can go, "Well, you can't find Sola Scriptura way back then either," right? You're both. You have to realize that both of those things, both of those kind of uh, foundational doctrines of Catholicism or of Protestantism. You know, you have to weigh those equally and and fairly if you're looking at at those historical sources or in scripture itself, right? The idea that okay, where's the where's the Pope in in scripture? Well, where's Sola Scriptura in scripture? Like both of those things, you could argue for either of those sides are hard to find tons of evidence, right? You got to weigh those yeah. things. I think, like I I didn't really thought of it, thought of it that way before. I think until I think I heard Trent say it. You got to kind of step back and go, okay, am I asking this side to find more than I can find? for my side in these sources, right? Yeah, I think he used like a metaphor of like home field advantage to me when we had a conversation about this. Uh, like, uh, the, the Catholics shouldn't have to raise to this different level of difficulty versus right. what you're expecting for yourself, um, which I think is, is true logically. But I do also understand that, and perhaps for somewhat good reasons, um, we have often a higher bar to change our mind. Yes, we have our own yes, like intellectual yeah. inertia. Um, then we, you know, so it takes more to change our mind than, yeah. than keep our own views, which I do think is probably yeah, in many point. ways a good thing because I imagine like people watching my channel, if the bar for changing your views was encountering someone smarter than you who had a different <laughs> yeah, opinion, you, you would have a different opinion every, uh, well, not every week because I don't release videos every week, but however Thanks often I release videos because at least that's how I feel. Yeah, like yeah. every one of these people I talk to, like just on balance are probably smarter than me, yeah. certainly in the things that they uh, I'm interviewing them on. And you know, generally speaking, two thirds of them disagree with me. And so you have to be able to kind of, detached from yeah. that being the ground of argument. Um, but anyway, that, that's kind of two different issues of the, the litmus test for changing your mind and not just allowing someone smart to yeah. 
Yeah. No. The fact that someone smart disagrees with you or the fact that someone smart becomes Catholic or Orthodox also isn't like this great validation in a way. Yeah, uh, that's thought, something I've that's, always feared yeah. with my channel. Like if I become Catholic or Orthodox, that it would be paraded around like, oh, okay, Austin did this, therefore it's true, which is just yeah. simply <laughs> logically not true, but also just puts way too much weight on us like random YouTube people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true, right? That There's a good reason to be skeptical of, of any... Yeah, of falling in the in the wake of any conversion like that, right? I think you're totally right. Yeah. That, that's the whole kind of celebrity celebrity past or celebrity conversion kind of thing, right? Like how how often is somebody in Hollywood or somebody I, I don't know, I'm not I'm not big into Hollywood, but people mm-hmm. are, and somebody in Hollywood becomes something, right? Or Christian or Catholic or begins doing some Scientology or something, right? And others follow because oh, this prominent person has thought through these things so well, they must know all the best arguments. They're so smart, and then. Right? Maybe they yeah. maybe they stay that thing, but maybe a month later they've decided that no, I didn't have any reason for, for becoming that, right? Yeah, I mean yeah, it's the same kinda, dynamic kinda. of like influencer marketing or yeah, something, right? Totally. Like, the fact yeah. that I don't know, LeBron James like uh likes life water or something. I think that's yeah. what he like highlights or something. Like all of a sudden people buy life water, but it's like he's not LeBron James because yeah. he drinks overpriced yeah. water. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just a silly thing. Yeah. Um but it, I really do feel that weight of I've had multiple, multiple, like many people reach out to me and say like, hey, like pretty much whatever you decide I'm gonna go with because I realize you've put more thinking wow. in this than me. And I'm like <laughs> please don't like that's terrifying oh, yeah, don't yeah. don't terrifying. like go think about it like, no. <laughs> i love that that's awesome did you have anything else you want to share in the papacy i mean we didn't touch on it but obviously like within scripture one of the things in addition to kind of the davidic kingdom uh because you you could leave that out and you could just go to the idea of the rock um sure, sure. or you could do uh, i guess this would be getting into the davidic kingdom a little bit but like the isaiah 22 matthew 16 parallels there it's a good fruitful thing to investigate um and i mean joe hashmeyer's book he has a lot of uh fun connections i think is it luke like uh, i yeah, forget where it is I in think, luke yeah, where it's like i pray for your strength in your brother and i think maybe 23 yeah. um but yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of interesting things there but i think you've pretty much got scripture uh, tradition, history, and, and reason there as different ways of approaching it. And you're going to look for historical attestation, both early and wide, at a reasonable level, like looking for what you think is kind of the minimum to see there. Yeah, You're going to see, is this attested in scripture? Um, and then does it, does it make any sense? Now, there's kind of like the, the counter sides of, do you approach it from like we do that in a vacuum and then therefore everything it's proclaimed is true. Um, or is it like, do I have to say like, are these things actually true? Um, you get into a logical inconsistency if you accepted the authority, but you still thought something yeah, else was yeah. untrue. So I think for the most part, you just kind of try to figure that question out. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Are there any good arguments left we haven't covered that you want to cover before we close down this ship and carry and carry on? And, oh man, I'm and, sure there's. I'm sure there's of, lots. But, yeah, but, plenty of good arguments. Um, things that you were thinking of when you were thinking of this for for the weeks you were preparing in in your mind to uh, to, yeah. rest, to wrestle with this. No, I mean, I, I think that's a lot of the. I feel like we've done like a a flyover yeah. tour of yeah, a lot of yeah, things. Yeah. Um, but well, I'll add this, um, and this goes back to the beginning, I guess. Uh, and people don't like when I bring this up for the most part. Um, but I'll say, you know, I started my investigation 
focused very heavily on the doctrinal side and I still very much care about it. I'm still a theology nerd um, and I love all of it, but I think increasingly there's that question of like, if I want to pursue Christ, how can I do that most fully and most truly and most faithfully? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the tradition you pick is going to have some influence on that. When you get into kind of the spiritual life of these traditions, uh, the, the prayer life, the, the devotional yeah. rhythms. And I, while it's maybe like not the only question to ask in a vacuum, I don't think that should be discounted. Like I, yeah. I would hate for someone to feel like they'd come up with a lot of right answers but think it's going to really detract from their faith. I think those things should go hand in hand. And again, to the reason I don't lose sleep, I think uh, a lot of people, they they go on this kind of intellectual conversion, but it really deepens their faith for them. And and that excites me when I see people making these steps that has has taken a lot from them. They've done a lot of research and and they're engaging in their faith in a new and powerful way. And they have that kind of fervor of a convert, uh, hopefully without all the cringe of many converts. Um, but I, I think people should consider like, I, I want to pursue Christ. Like ultimately that's what we're called to. We're not necessarily called to be historians. We're not necessarily called to be these like brilliant dogmatic theologians. I mean, maybe that's part of your calling, but what all of us have a calling for is, is to pursue Christ. And that should be part of the consideration. In fact, it should be a, a big part. <laughs> That's very well said. Yeah, I almost can't say anything to add to that. I think I think apart from, like, yeah, there, there has to be that experiential kind of, okay, on the ground type, right? You could, you could study any kind of religion that sounds awesome on paper. You accept its doctrines, its dogmas. You're fired up for it. Its holy books are like amazing, and you you love this. It's got a great online community that you're plugged into and, and, and loving. And you go to that place of worship, like you know, down on Main Street, and it's just like it's devoid of anything. It's like it's yeah. just, it's not at all what your your head had led you to believe, right? There's got to yeah. be that. Okay, am I actually growing in this? Is this fruitful? Is this driving me closer to God? Is this actually in practice? these things I've come to to think are true, there's got to be hand in hand that kind of experiential, actually practical on the ground aspect yeah. to it, right? Can I pray in this tradition and feel like I am receiving something from this, that this is drawing me closer to Christ? And I guess there's a danger of of you making religion in your own image, I guess maybe course, you could be. Yeah. And, and saying, oh, I'm not going to convert because I, I can never do written prayer. I can never do rope prayer. I can never stand for three hours for, for a divine liturgy in like an Orthodox church. I, I, could, I couldn't do that. There's something, yeah, a, a danger in that, but that's not what you're saying, I don't think. But there is yeah. that aspect to it too, but there is that practical like consideration, right? That is this something that's going to actually draw you closer to God or are you going to be this boastful Catholic convert that like that knows it all in your head and is just grumpy and puts down everybody else who hasn't converted and really sucks the life out of every parish that, that you are in, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I think you know maybe another way I could put it of like maybe not so much on like the which tradition is true, but a consideration to keep in mind as you're going through these questions to not allow them to be solely intellectual. Right. Cause I think you're, you're absolutely right. Like there's a danger of making it in your own image. I think there's also a danger of like too small of a sample size. Like you went to one yeah, parish and it was yeah, bad, but if you went to the one down the street, it would have yeah, been great. Um, but I, I do think that all of this, you know, it, it shouldn't be abstract um, solely like an intellectual journey, but, but the, the, the North star for all of this, like the reason you should care shouldn't be being right. Like being right 
just devoid of any kind of uh, purpose it doesn't have that much value, especially if there is no like overarching uh, meaning to life. But like the goal isn't just to, to solve an intellectual puzzle as intriguing as it may be. The, the goal is to pursue Christ in spirit and truth. Yeah. And, and so just make sure that people are doing both of those, I think. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Austin, this is, as I expected, a, a, a ton of fun having you back on the show to tackle this kind of topic. Very fun, very thoughtful, very kind. I mean, you are... Look, I'll put it this way. If you do become Catholic ever, Austin, I'll have to surrender this moniker. I think you would be the cordial Catholic. If if it came to that, I'd have to just surrender the crown to you, and you can just take over this channel and go with it, Austin, because you're, you're that guy. So thanks uh, for being you're here. You're too kind. Yeah, um, it's always my pleasure. People know where to find you, uh, Gospel Simplicity uh, on YouTube. I will put links to that in the show notes for listeners of the podcast. I'll put links so they can find you there. Uh, YouTube watcher, watchers, YouTube viewers will easily find you. Thanks to me, right, who first who launched your career. Amen. Uh, yeah, we'll put it, put it up there. <laughs> yeah, but but awesome. Let the record show. Yeah, let the record show. Yeah, it's good. It's true. I think you you said it. Honestly, though, thank you. Uh, thanks for being here. I want to say God bless you and the work you're doing for the church, Austin. And thank you for uh, thank you for the the uh, a wonderful last three years. It's been great knowing you, and uh, it's always fun when somebody comes my way who who I've met through you or through through finding our previous work together. It's always fun. They're the best. They're the best people who reach out who who somehow find me through your channel. You got you have you're good people. Send them my way. And I hope vice versa. So like, yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Cordial Catholic viewers are the best. Oh, I love it. Thanks, Austin. My pleasure. Thank you, friends, once again for listening to this episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. Hopefully you loved that conversation. That was lots of fun for me to have, for Austin to have. Hopefully you enjoyed it, too. Uh, a fly on the wall for that kind of a conversation, hopefully, is is edifying and interesting for you. Let me know. CordialCatholic at gmail.com is our email address for your feedback. If you'd like to leave someone or give someone something to hear from you, who you are, why you're listening, what you think of, of the show and, and shows like this. Your feedback helps to drive this show and keep it going and growing so so yeah reach out and thank you we're also on socials on instagram on tiktok and on twitter at cordial catholic the cordial catholic on facebook and youtube.com slash the cordial catholic to watch what you are listening to if you want to help support this show financially, those links are in the show notes, patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Uh, check those out where you can see how you can help this show to keep on going. It's not my full-time job, as you may know, so your support helps to make this thing possible to begin with. So thank you for your prayers, your listening, and your financial support. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please just press pause and leave a rating or a review. That helps to push the podcast out to new people who are looking through different shows, search for a Catholic show, and always look down to see how many uh, star reviews it has, how many ratings. Those are really what what gets people to, to listen to a show, get into a show, and then begin to love the show. So thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll talk to you again soon. Please pray for me. I am praying for you. Take care and God bless. 
This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Calvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.